0: Hey, well, good morning, church. Uh, hey, if you are a guest, so glad that you're here. Uh, for those of you watching online, we're glad you are tuned in with us as well. Uh, this morning, I thought we ought to take a moment, just with everything going on in the world, um, just to uh, take a moment and, and, and pray. Um, can we do that, church? Uh, would you be willing to just bow your heads with me? Uh, Heavenly Father, we want to come to you in the name of Jesus. Uh, We know he is the answer. We know he is the ultimate solution. We know he is the ultimate hope that the world needs, that each one of us needs. And uh, God, as we even think about things happening in our own community, we think about the violence that we see just, it seems, rampant across the U.S. and other parts of the world. God, we realize that uh, we need more and more of you and your spirit uh, working here on, on earth, and we're as your people called to call that spirit down. So we want to do that this morning. Just pray that your will would be done here on earth as it is in heaven, God. We think about the, 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 the tensions that are taking place right now between Russia and Ukraine. God, we just want to pray for, for peace there, de-escalation, God, that you would bring peaceable solutions uh, to what's happening uh, even across the world, Lord, because we know you can do it. So we're going to trust you in all of this. I know many of us, even as we go from here, uh, could use just more of your presence, more of your peace in our homes, in our own personal lives. So I just want to pray favor and blessing on all of us here this morning, on our homes. Uh, and as we go from here, God, may we be ambassadors uh, of peace for, for your glory. We're going to pray this all in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, hey, today we are kicking off a new series called the scarlet thread. Uh, Many years ago, uh, when Danielle and I had just gotten married, we ran into this classic dilemma. Who gets to pick the movie on movie night? (laughs) Anybody run into that? Anyone need a little marriage counseling around this? This tension, okay? Because I'm more of an action guy. Like, I want action. Uh, you know, give me a little action. Danielle's the romance type. She wants the rom-com. So this was very hard to to, to find something that would marry the two, right? And uh, I remember on one occasion, Danielle went to the video store. uh, And for those of you who are young, (laughs) you actually had to go to a store. And we didn't have internet on our phones. Yeah, you remember this, many of you. And, and you had to go by nothing but the picture that was on that box. And then on the back, there'd be a short description with a few pictures from the movie. And that's, that's basically what you had to go by. And so Danielle comes home with this movie. I think, if I remember correctly, it was called The Soldier's Sweetheart. And, and her reasoning was, it's got soldier in it, right? So action. And sweetheart, so... A little romance. I knew it was going to be bad when she brought out the tissues, okay? And so we get through this movie, and let's just say um, by the end of it, all the tissues are gone. Danielle used a couple of them as well, okay? I, I, I found myself in tears over, over this movie, and uh, the centerpiece of this movie was a soldier, right, giving his life. Giving his life for his sweetheart, giving his life for his country. The movie centered around this idea of someone laying down their life. Friends, when we come to the Bible, you don't understand from Genesis all the way to the book of Revelation, from the first book all the way to the last book, it's all about Jesus. And primarily this story of redemption, Jesus laying down his life for you and me. It's primarily a story of Jesus shedding his blood on the cross so that you and I could have the forgiveness of sin. Someone has said that if you cut the Bible in any place, it would bleed. And that's true. There is a scarlet thread. There is this theme all the way back in the book of Genesis pointing us to the sacrifice Jesus would make so that we could be reconciled to God through the shed blood of Jesus. And in this series, we're going to be looking at just a few things in the book of Genesis over the next seven weeks. We're not going to even get to everything that we could look at in the book of Genesis. We certainly don't have time. Maybe we'll do a part two, a part three down the road to get through the rest of the scriptures. But we're going to be looking at these things in Genesis that point us to the coming of Jesus. And and my two hopes in this series is one that you're going to realize that ultimately what the Bible is is a story. It's not a fictional story. It's God's story. It's, the God's, it's God's story of redemption. We could call it the story of glory. And here's what I hope we're going to see as we unpack um, these topics in Genesis, that you are a part of the story, that right now you are a part of the church, the church age, and you are living in the story that God is still writing as we await. The return of Jesus Christ, and the second thing I hope we're going to see in in this series, or that's going to happen through this series, is that your faith is going to be strengthened. Because as we look at these these accounts, these these what we could call types, or these uh, even prophecies, like we're going to look at this morning of the coming of Jesus, uh, we're going to see that this story, you know this 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 Bible that we read, uh, written you know sixty six different books, forty different authors, written over three different continents over a period of fifteen hundred years you can realize man did not ultimately write this book. God was behind this book. And so I hope in the process, our faith is going to be strengthened in the word of God. Now, this morning, we are going to look at the first prophecy of the Bible. The first prophecy of the coming of Jesus Christ. Okay, and just to set it up, we need to start with the very beginning. God creates the world. He creates Adam and Eve. He places them in the garden. And he gives them one command, do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And you might wonder, why would God even t- put that in, <laughs> you know, in the garden to, to tempt, to, to be a temptation? And I believe it, it's this, I, I believe we are created to live for the glory of God. That is your ultimate purpose. If you didn't know, what, is, what do you ultimately exist for? To, to live for the glory of God. And one of the primary ways you do that is by being obedient to his word. You, you, you bring God glory, you make much of God before, before God himself, before the angels, before demons, and even before yourself and others when, when you obey his word. And so God is going to give them his word to see, are you going to trust me and obey me and live for my glory? Now we know how this ends, right? Even if you're not very churched, you've seen the depictions, the serpent is going to show up, the serpent who represents, of course, the devil. And he's going to show up and he is going to tempt Adam and Eve to eating the forbidden fruit. And they are going to eat. Um, And if we were all honest and and did a little self-reflection, I think we'd all realize we we can't be too hard on Adam and Eve. We've all eaten the forbidden fruit. Every one of us has eaten the forbidden fruit. I remember when I came out of my lifestyle of uh, just, you know, drugs and addiction and doing terrible things in that season of my life. And I remember when it dawned on me, Adam and Eve aren't the only ones who ate the forbidden fruit. I I knew what was right. I knew what was wrong. And uh, I still still ate. And when I opened up the, the Bible and started reading about Adam and Eve in the garden, it was like it was God speaking to me. It was like I was there. And if some of us have a little maturity in us, we probably realize we, ha- we were all there at the garden. We've all eaten this fruit. That's why Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us have eaten that fruit. And that fruit, that, 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 that going against the word of God, it brings consequences into our, our lives. It does. And so God is gonna to speak to Adam. And he's gonna say, Adam, now as a result of you doing this, it's gonna to lead to death. You're gonna die a physical death as a result uh, of this. He says to Eve, He says to Eve, you're gonna have pain in childbirth. So when you give birth, you're gonna experience chi- pains now as, as a result of this. So, so, ladies, when you get to heaven, you can go up to Eve and say, girl, what were you thinking? All right? Because I know some of you had to experience some, some pain, right, in, in childbirth. But then he's going to turn his attention to the, the serpent, right? He, he turns his attention to, to the serpent, and, and I want us to see what he's going to say to the devil. This is in uh, verse 14 of Genesis 3. He says, so the Lord said to the serpent, because you have done this, because you, you've, you've deceived have deceived.'" Adam and Eve and mankind into this. Cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. Okay? So he, he's talking about snakes here. Right? I, I guess apparently before snakes there was the serpent that had maybe arms and legs. I don't know what that would have looked like. Um, but now he, he's saying the, the snake itself is going to take the fall for this and it's going to be blamed and is going to be a reminder to us as it crawls on its belly. And, and that's representing this idea of being made lowly, right? The serpent has to crawl through on its belly through the dust. And then in verse 15, And I will put enmity between you and the woman. And between your offspring and her, so between your, uh, there's going to be this like enmity, there's going to be this like fear, uh, not universally, but I think many of us kind of have a a weirdness around snakes. How many of us have a weirdness around snakes? Probably uh, not all of us, but many of us just, there's like a creepiness when you see a snake crawling on the ground, the way it moves and understand that that God did that to remind us that Satan is creepy. He is not your friend. He is out for your total destruction. He's, he's creepy. He might appear as an angel of light, but he is a creepy being who has creepy intentions for all of our life. And so God actually put that in us so that when we look at the snake, we are reminded of Satan and the creepiness of who he is. And then here's the Prophecy. He, again, the offspring of Eve, will crush your head and you will strike his heel. So again, out of the offspring of woman, out of the offspring of Eve, out of woman, by the way, Women are being honored here. It's going to come out of woman. Woman is going to produce this one who is going to be the head crusher, the one who's going to crush the head of the serpent. This is going to come out of woman. God wants to make it known it's going to be out of the offspring of woman. Can we all give women a round of applause for bringing the head crusher into the world? Okay. <laughs> it's like Women deserve, this is an honoring that women have a big part to play in the story of God's glory because it is out of them. That one is going to come who will crush the head of the serpent. Wow. You know, again, when I was in my, uh, my season of drug addiction and um, just real evil darkness... I looked around at my life at at, at a crucial point and and I realized, like, man, the world was disappointing. If I can just be brutally honest, just disappointing. Family was broken up at this point. Um, Struggling with an addiction and things are just getting worse, not better, getting worse every day. My friends have turned on me at this point. And it was like the world was caving in on me, and I just realized, man, the world the world is a disappointment. And maybe some of you are here today, and it feels that way. Maybe it feels like the world has been disappointing. I don't know if it's a marriage issue, a friend issue, finance issue, a dream issue that hasn't come true, a job. I don't know what it is, but we, at this point, it's like the world just seems really disappointing and this is this is how it would have seemed for Adam and Eve right to get kicked out of the garden and it's going to seem man. this is disappointing this is not what we uh, thought it's not what we dreamt of now we have been kicked out and banished from the garden and we're living in this 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 disappointment but they had this prophecy that that the the one was going to come who was going to crush the head of the serpent and restore things and, and make things right again and so they started looking forward they started awaiting this one who would who would come to make things right again and 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 so the the first child of eve the first offspring is going to be a man named Cain and if you actually look at it, I don't have time to get into it this morning, but Cain, the actual um, name of Cain means Jehovah. It's, we add, by the Lord's help, that's kind of an addition because of the context, but in and of itself, Eve names this man Jehovah or Yahweh. This is a way of saying she thinks Cain is going to be the Messiah. She thinks he's going to be the head crusher. But, of course, he's going to kill Abel, and we're going to realize Cain's not the Messiah. And we fast forward maybe to say Noah. We're going to talk about Noah in this series. You fast forward to Noah. Noah survives the flood. You know, he's faithful. But then as soon as they get off the boat, Noah gets drunk and ends up cursing one of his own children. We realize Noah's not the Messiah, he's not going to be the head crusher. We get to Abraham. God makes it very clear to Abraham. Abraham, it's going to be through your line. You're not going to be the Messiah, but through your line, through your seed, I'm going to bless the world. In other words, the Messiah is going to come from your line, Abraham. And So he has kids, Isaac, Jacob, Judah, and all of them failed to prove to be the Messiah. You might even think Joseph. We talk about Joseph in this series as well. You get to the end of Genesis, we're looking at Joseph. Who, who saves people during the famine? You might think that's the Messiah. That must—he's arrived. No, because once we get into Exodus, we find the people are in bondage, enslaved in Egypt. He proves not to be the Messiah as well. Fast forward to the kings. You get to Saul, who we're said is a head and shoulders above everyone else. I mean, basically, Saul is this stud. He's the Messiah, right? Now we know Saul, he's going to disobey God, proving he's not the Messiah either. And then a young boy named David is going to show up. And this is at a time where Israel is at war with the Philistines who have this warrior, this giant named Goliath. And friends, there's some really interesting things about Goliath that have to do with this prophecy. In fact, let me read um, 1 Samuel 17, 5. Listen to this. About, it says, Goliath had a bronze helmet on his head, and he wore a coat of, what does that word say? Scale armor. Scale, like a snake, of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. Now, here's where it gets even more interesting. This word bronze in the Hebrew, it doesn't just mean bronze. It has two meanings. It can mean bronze. You know what it can also mean? Snake. So here you have Goliath, who's being described as a snake wearing scale armor. Serpent, also in Hebrew, has two meanings. It can mean serpent, or it can mean shiny one. And now you have the one wearing the bronze, shiny armor. The shiny one with scales. Scales. facing this young boy David. Is David going to prove to be the head crusher? What does David do? He takes a stone, puts <laughs> in his sling. Where does he hit Goliath? <laughs> right in the head. Not only does he do that, then he runs over and he cuts off Goliath's head, right? I love that part. Uh, Anyone else? (laughs) Sorry, I was maybe a little sick. But this this is a foreshadowing of the serpent here. And now David cuts off the head of the giant. Ha, I am victorious. Head caved in, crushed in from this mighty stone. David's the Messiah, right? Prophecy fulfilled. No, David is going to fail too. He's going to have the affair and he's going to prove as well he's not the Messiah. We're going to look at his sons. Sons are going to have issues. They're going to have problems. They're going to let idols in Israel and they're going to prove they're not the Messiah either. We're going to get to the prophets. And then we're going to get to what's called the 400 years of silence where God doesn't even send a prophet. He doesn't even give the people of Israel a word. And we're left wondering... Is the Messiah ever going to come? Is the Messiah ever going to show up? Is this prophecy real? And can it can it be trusted? But then we're gonna arrive at Christmas. And God's gonna show up to who? A man? He's gonna show up to a woman named Mary. To a woman. Those of you who are here at our Christmas Eve services this last year, you remember me preaching on this text where I think we get the best depiction of the Christmas story, not from the Gospels. I think we get it from the book of Revelation. And we read this about the vision that John has about Christmas Day from Revelation 12. I want to read this for you. There's a great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon, under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. And notice, it's a, a woman. And yes, on one hand, this represents Eve. And on the other hand, it represents Israel. And then specifically, this is talking about Mary, the mother of Jesus, who was an Israelite. Coming from the line of Abraham. She was pregnant and she cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. And then another sign appeared in heaven. He has another vision. Listen to this an enormous red dragon. With seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its head, its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. And of course, we know how this played out. was the devil worked through King Herod to put an assassination attempt on Jesus and Mary and Joseph have to flee for their lives, barely escaping to preserve the life Of Jesus and then in verse 9 we see the great dragon he was hurled down that ancient what does that word say? Now we got the serpent in the book of Revelation being hurled down called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray he was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Surely Jesus is going to be the Messiah, except one thing's going to happen. Yes, he's going to go throughout the lands, casting out demons, healing people, teaching with authority, but he's going to end up on a cross, and even the disciples are going to say, can't be Jesus. Most of them are going to go into hiding. Peter's going to deny him that he even knew the man Because he's hanging on a cross, and Messiahs don't hang on crosses. But they forgot something, didn't they? They forgot the second part of the prophecy. He wasn't just going to crush the head of the serpent. It says he was going to have his heel struck. He was going to be somehow injured in God's plan for redemption. Jesus himself is going to die on that cross, and we know how it ends. Three days later, he's going to be raised from the grave victorious over, over death. Very interesting. We read this in Luke 23 It says, When they came to the place called, what does that say? The skull. They crucified him there. Isn't that interesting? Where did Jesus get crucified of all places? He gets crucified at this place called Golgotha, the place of the skull. His feet are literally nailed right over a place known as the skull. Tyler tipped me off about this this past week. I did some research on this. There's a theory, a brand new theory out there. You know, when when, when David cut off the head of Goliath, he took it back to Jerusalem, right, to show everybody. There's a theory that that head was buried at the place of the skull. And that that might be why it's called the place of the skull because Goliath, the earthly serpent's head, is buried there. In fact, Golgotha sounds a lot like Goliath from Gath. We don't know. But what we do know is that Jesus is crucified at this place known as being the skull, that the head crusher was crucified literally over this place known for being the skull. Friends, here's what I want to ask. What does this mean for us today? The rest of our time, just what does this mean for us? Is the Bible not fascinating? Friends, this is fascinating, okay? All the way through the scriptures, we see this prophecy coming to fruition. Here's what it means. The first thing I want us to understand that Jesus has crushed the head of the serpent, it means you and I don't have to fear death. This is really good news for us. We do not have to fear death, okay? Jesus has conquered the grave, People have asked the question over the years, and maybe some of you are asking this question, why did he have to die? Why did he have to have his heel struck? When I first became a Christian, I did not understand that. I didn't understand why Jesus needed to die. Some some theologians over the years have postulated that that Jesus died so that God could show how much he hates sin. Look at how much God hates sin Look at what Jesus had to suffer. That's how much God hates sin. Some have said that and claimed that. Others have said, no, it's to show how much God loves us. He would sacrifice his own son. It tells us about his love, how much he, he must love us. While it might be true that God hates sin and it's true that God loves us, listen to me. Orthodox Christianity teaches something called substitutionary atonement. It means Jesus became your substitute. He wasn't just showing us something that's true about God. He was actually doing something personally for you. He was taking your sin upon himself and atoning for it, meaning paying the price. Forward. So you got to get this in your mind. you got to start thinking this way. you got to start seeing your sin, your badness, the things that cause distance and separation from you and God. You've got to see those things now cast onto Jesus on his body as he hangs on that cross. So now he's hanging on that cross with all of your junk in him, being your substitute in your place, taking your sin to the grave. where your price and what you owed would be paid. So when Danielle and I were pretty recently married, we took a car trip. We were going to go to Colorado, but we didn't even get out of the Twin Cities before we got caught in the snowstorm and ended up running over some black ice and spinning out of control and going across three lanes where we crashed onto the other side of the highway. And we were okay, uh, but there was like this wooden post on the side of the highway. You know, you've seen those like just wooden posts, I guess, to kind of create like a guardrail of some sort. And I, you know, this post did a lot more damage to my car than I did to this post. It ripped off the entire front part of my car. But we did just kind of bend this post. This post just kind of was in the ground. It just like kind of like, whoop. The post just kind of bent, just a little bit. It wasn't a lot. It wasn't even a 45-degree angle. It was just like a whoop. Next thing we know, like after the police took a report and all that stuff, the city of Minneapolis sends us a bill for over $1,000 to straighten this post. It was just a whoop. (laughs) I was like, I mean, I will go and push it back. Over $1,000 to fix this, this post, which might as well have been a million dollars to Danielle and I at the time. And we can't afford this. And there is no hope of paying this off. So here's what I didn't know, though. The car was in my dad's name, so he also got this bill. <laughs> and my dad, you know, being worried that the car is in his name, he paid it for us. And I didn't even know. So he pays it for us, and then I get another letter from the city saying, your bill has been paid. It showed my name, the cost. What do I owe? I owe zero dollars. My name is now written in the city of Minneapolis somewhere. Brent Hall is in good standing with the city of Minneapolis. Friends, do you realize you have your name written in the registry of heaven because of Jesus Christ who paid your debt? And that your name is written there, secure, saying you are in good standing because your debt has been paid by Jesus. That is good news. Luke 10:20, Jesus said, Do not rejoice that the spirit submit to you. He's saying that's just par for the course. That's how you're gonna start living your life here on earth. But rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Friends, your name is in heaven because the price has been paid for you. Past, present, and even future sins you have yet to commit have been completely paid in the person of Jesus Christ. Amen. Jesus said in John eleven twenty five, 25, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. So friends, we will experience a kind of death, a first death, but then we know the rest of the story. We have victory over the grave and we get to go spend our eternity with Jesus. He has paid the price. And when you realize that, friends, you don't have to fear death any longer. You can look in the face of the serpent who wants to hold death over you, and you can laugh. Because Jesus has crushed his head, giving you victory. Second thing it means for our life is we have an incredible authority, friends, (laughs) An incredible authority. I was thinking this week about, like, ambassadors from the U.S. Do you think that maybe ambassadors from the U.S. are a little more cocky than other places in the world? I don't know. I can't help but wonder if they have a little more confidence and just a little more swagger when they go. And I'm not saying that's good. I wouldn't be surprised if U.S. ambassadors are a little more hated But here's what we need to know about U.S. ambassadors. They don't go to these other countries and make negotiations based on their own authority. They do it because they have the backing of the United States of America. And because they have the backing of the United States of America, and because the the, the world recognizes America as as it does, they get to go. And I would just venture to guess there's just a little more confidence. There's just a little more swagger. They know when they sit down at the table, they wield a little more power. They're not going to be bullied by other nations. Now, I'm not talking about politics here, but I want us to understand this in the, term of the terms of the spiritual. When you recognize the authority you have, what Jesus has done who has crushed the serpent's head for you, you ought to be walking around with a little swagger. You ought to be walking around with a little more confidence. You ought to be hated by the enemy because he knows it's not your authority. It's backed by Jesus, the head crusher. And I believe if we walked in that and knew that, I think we'd be a more praying church. I think we'd be a church that prays against the darkness in our own families, in our own minds, in our own communities, and even across the world. I just believe if we knew the authority we have and where we are seated and what our identity is in Jesus... I believe we'd be a church that prays a whole lot more than we find ourselves praying. Because we know when we pray in Jesus' name, things start to happen. Friends, you recognize the incredible authority that you have. Look at what Jesus said. He said, I have given you authority to trample on what? Snakes. (laughs) Now we become head crushers. You are a head crusher and scorpions and overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will ultimately, he's saying, harm you. Now, by the way, I don't recommend going and stepping on snakes and scorpions. (laughs) Jesus is being a bit figurative here. People have made that mistake. But he's saying spiritually, you are now a head crusher. We best be stepping into our authority and praying against these things because that's the authority we have. So how many of you watched the Super Bowl this last week? How many of you just watched it because of the commercials? (laughs) Yeah, so many of you. So if you're not aware, the LA Rams ended up beating the Cincinnati Bengals. And assuming they've gotten their rings by now, there's somebody by the name of Bryce Perkins who's walking around showing off his Super Bowl victory ring. I would have ventured to guess he's wearing it, or he has it on display in his house. But I'd, I'd venture to guess he's showing. Look at what we just accomplished. Look at the victory that I have, and he is showing off this ring today. But here's what you need to know about Bryce Perkins. Bryce Perkins is the third-string quarterback for the Rams. He didn't throw one pass this season. He didn't play one snap this season. He didn't even put in a call from the sideline this season. He sat and he watched this entire season as Matthew Stafford went out there and took him to a Super Bowl victory. And now today he has a little bonus in his checking account and he's showing off people, I'm a Super Bowl victor. Friends, you realize when you are in Christ, you didn't get on that cross, you are not the Messiah. You're not the one who ultimately stomped the head of the serpent. Jesus did. And whether you wear that ring or not comes down to one thing, whose team are you on? And when you are on team Jesus, you now get everything that belongs to Jesus. And when we step into that authority, friends, it means no longer do I have to fear death. It means now I have an incredible incredible authority. It's not ultimately mine. It's because of Jesus. He went out onto the field and won this victory for you and me, which is why what we have to do is quit trying to be our own Messiah, quit trying to save ourselves. quit trying to be the hero of our story and take our eyes off of us and put them where they belong, on Jesus, the victor. Amen. Jesus is the victor. Jesus is the hero of the story, and he invites us to be a part of his team. (laughs) church. If we were to step into that, in that authority, you might just find yourself walking in a little more, with a little more swagger this week. You just might find yourself being a little more hated by the enemy this week. That's okay, because his head has been crushed. I want to ask us just to bow our heads. Lord, some of us come in here today, I know with uh, some disappointment in our lives, and maybe we're feeling like life has been a disappointment. And I hope that those of us who come in here that day feeling that way know that if that disappointment leads us to you, that that is your goodness working in our life. Jesus, we know that you are the one who can restore all things. Too many of us are living to go to heaven after earth, but Jesus, you want us to start experiencing heaven while we're on earth. (laughs) And some of us, we need that today. Some of us need to take our eyes off of ourselves and quit trying to be the hero of our story and put it where it belongs. We need to put it on Jesus. So Jesus, would you today help us to do that? Would you help us to find our victory not in ourselves, but in you? Would you become our treasure here at Edinburgh Church? And there's some out there today, I'm sure, who need to join Team Jesus. They need this victory to become theirs today where they can stop fearing death, where they can step into this authority and start pushing back the darkness in their lives and in their family. And I'm just going to ask, if that's you out there today, while your head is bowed, if if you're saying, I need to join Team Jesus today, I need to invite Jesus to my, can you just take a step of faith and just raise your hand? I believe there's someone out there. Yeah, I see you. Hey, sister, I see you back there. Thanks for letting me know. I see you back there as well. I see you. Yeah, today's the day where we join Team Jesus and we step into this victory. I'm going to give anybody else a chance. Anybody else? Just want to take a step of faith, raise their hand? Oh, I see you. Thanks, brother. Thanks for letting me know. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray as a church. And you just pray this in your heart. You pray this. This is between you and God. He sees your heart today. It, all, you don't have to do any. This is, the, this is the crazy part about the gospel. You just receive it. And so you just say, Father, thank you for sending Jesus for me. I receive what he has done for me today. Help me to walk in this victory that he won for me. Jesus, I want to step into this authority that you give me starting today. Help me not to fear death any longer because I know my name is now written in heaven. And help me to start pushing back the darkness in my life, in my family, and even the community and world in which I live. Teach me Jesus, how to be a disciple of yours. And we pray this, not because of what we've done, but because of what you've accomplished for us, great head crusher. We love you and we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said. Friends, I saw at least six hands go up today. Can we give those people? I don't know about you, if there was ever an opportunity to worship based on what we've heard today, I would say this is it, to let Jesus know. And our eyes aren't on us, it's on you. You are our champion. So why don't we stand and give God some praise and glory this morning.